You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. We're going to be focusing one more time on Psalm 103. I was reading this past week and one author brought up a good point about Psalm 103. And it's why I named the sermon today, God and Us. It was said that Psalm 103 is an invitation to know God and ourselves. Derek Kidner, a commentator, says that Psalm 103 is the antidote to two attitudes of the human heart. Now, on your sermon outline, this is your first blanks. In your bulletin, there's a sermon outline if you want to fill them in. Here's the attitudes. Number one, apathy. This is someone who says, I don't care about God. And so the antidote to these two attitudes of the human heart, we get this. Now, you might say, you know, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not apathetic. I, don't, I would never say I don't care about God. Okay, let's take that to one more step. Have you ever gotten to the point where you really just didn't want to be in his presence at church? Then, yes, you said, I don't care about God. You don't like to say it that way, because that really sounds bad. But if you've been burned out before, if you've been frustrated before, and you've walked away from him because you just can't take another time of him putting, some, putting a finger on your life, you have experienced apathy in your heart. I just need a break. I just, I just can't do another devotional. These are all apathetic comments. We don't, we don't see it as that because we don't like to think of ourselves in this way, but it, they are. Number two is this, gloom. Gloom. Here's what gloom says. That is someone who may say, I think that God doesn't care about me. Now, if I'm honest, if I, and when I, well, I am honest, if I, if I, if I kind of broke down in, in the 20 some years that I've been in the ministry, the comments that I've heard, gloom is probably more of what I've heard than apathy. I've seen apathy. I've heard gloom. All right, so, so we may say this a lot of times. Well, God might care about you, pastor, because you're a pastor and you're this and you're that, but he doesn't care about the average Joe. He doesn't care what I do at work. He doesn't care what I say. He doesn't care this. He doesn't care that. I've heard those comments. And that's gloom. And so what Derek Kidner says in his commentary, which was a valuable tool this past week, is, is that the Psalm 103 is dealing with these two attitudes all throughout it. You have apathy. You think something about God? Go to Psalm 103. You have gloom. You think God doesn't care about you? Go to Psalm 103. And in his estimation, his estimation, now we, we obviously, we can know some of what was going on in David's heart when he wrote this psalm, but we can't know it all. But in his estimation, David has a little bit of gloom and a little bit of apathy going on in his heart. And he's trying to walk through it. I know God loves me, but... 
I know I care about God, but. Now what Derek Kidner says, and, and I'll kind of piggyback off his comments. If a man after God's own heart has apathy and gloom, why is it that we don't think we would? Why is it that we don't think that this would affect us? Here's a man who everything he did brought just about. We all know the, the sin in David's life. But God calls him a man after his own heart. And he had apathy and gloom. So I want you to keep those two attitudes in your mind as we, as we go on with the sermon here, as we dive into the passages for today that Andrea just read. But also think back. Think about what you have been seeing, that maybe God cares about you more than you thought. Remember last week I, I kind of admitted to you that Sometimes when I read that God forgives my sins as far as the east is from the west, I don't give him the credit for that. Sometimes I have trouble that he forgives me from, from here to the office building or from here to the windows. And yet, God says two different directional things in that psalm, in the part of Psalm 103 that we looked at last week. He says, from the heavens to the earth, which is eternity. You can't get to the bottom and you can't get to the top. And he says east to west, which is eternity. You never hit a stopping point east to west. And so one thing that Psalm 103 has taught me is, is that I do have reason to be thankful. And I hope it's taught you that as well. So I want to dive into some of these verses, 13 through 22, and investigate some powerful lessons we can learn. Here's the first one. God is intimately interested in us, even to discipline us. Listen to this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. This love that, that God talks about in Psalm 103 is a love of a covenantal people. His compassion and love for his children, those who fear him, was faithful and is faithful. God didn't just create us and leave us to ourselves, but he wants to walk with us through life. Now, the important part here is, is that God remembers something about us. Now, remember, Psalm 103 is all about remembering because David, for a short period of time, had forgotten. It's kind of the reason why all communion tables, well, just about any all communion tables, have do this in remembrance of me. 
Because Jesus knew that we would get so busy in life, so focused on the storms, that we would forget the ultimate sacrifice given for ourselves. And so he says, listen, take communion, the Lord's Supper, together. And remember, And so David finds himself, again, in this, this place of apathy and gloom. And he's trying to remember. And so that's what we saw in verse 5. I believe it's verse 5. Forget not all of his benefits. Forget that he doesn't, don't forget that he forgives you. Don't forget that he loves you. Don't forget that he's there for you. Don't forget that he takes care of you. Don't forget all of these benefits because it's easy to forget them. When the world is falling apart and it looks like everything's going away and it looks like things are really bad, isn't it really easy to forget them? I mean, I I cannot be the only one here this morning that, that, that has that problem. When things are going bad, when things look like they're falling apart, boom. Israel had the same problem. We saw it. We see it in the Old Testament, right? I mean, they get delivered one day, and the next day they're complaining that God's not going to save them. Wait, what? What? He just saved you. And now the next day you're saying, oh, he left us here to die. But every time I think of that, it's like, Oh, I can't be too hard on them because I do the same thing. Because I forget his benefits. And so David is asking us to remember that he's a perfect father. So much so that he has compassion on his children. And, and that word is, is that, that this is where I get that second half of the point up there, to even to disciple, discipline us, is, is, is the compassion of a father who disciplines his children. Who loves them enough to tell them, you're wrong. And here's how to fix it. I want to remind you that in verse 13, it mentions that those who fear him, again, that's not a fear of afraid. I say this every time, but I want to be careful. It's a a fear of reverent respect. To put it in easy language to understand is, is that you remember that he is God and you are not. You're not. You're not the one calling the shots. You're not the one in charge. He is. And that fear goes even farther. The reason he treats us with love and compassion in verse 14 is for he knows we are f- how we were formed. You know Psalm 139 that says from, you know, he made you, he he knit you together in your mother's womb. 
God remembers that we were made from dust. And things that are made from dust have one thing in common. They're weak. You want to see how weak dust is? Maybe I shouldn't give this illustration, but go home, find your TV, find the dust on the bottom of the TV that will be cleaned this week because family and friends are coming over. Before you clean it, just go like this with the dust. (sighs) Guarantee you that dust will fly everywhere. Why? Because it's weak. Now, some people take offense to be calling weak. I'm not telling you that you can't lift 10 pounds. I'm not calling your masculinity, men, into practice or into question. I'm telling you that you cannot live a righteous life without your Savior. The only reason we got up and were able to breathe today, the only reason I'm able to give this message today, the only reason we were able to sing praise songs earlier today, the only reason I was able to give welcome and announcements, teach Sunday school, do all of that stuff, the only reason is because Jesus woke me up and gave me the strength to do so. Period. I didn't do it on my own. If he chose to take me last night, he could have done so. Because he is God and I am not. The only reason you get up and leave in the morning to do your job is because of Jesus. Every day. The only reason that you are retired and able to not go into a job is because of Jesus. I get it, you worked hard, you saved your money, I get all that, I get all that, but do you think for one minute that you would have half of what you have without Jesus? Because if you do, I challenge that. You wouldn't. Because you're weak. You can't do it on your own. That's kind of why we, that is why we need a Savior. And then the other reason that he's intimately interested in us because of verses 15 through 16. Here's what he says. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Here's what the psalmist is reminding himself of. Three words. Life is fragile. You know, Bob spends a lot of time here planting flowers around. You know when one dies, no one remembers that it dies. Like, I don't go out there and say, oh, yeah, that plant that Bob died. not, Not Bob didn't die, but the plant died. It's place and remembers it no more. It's like it never existed. Sometimes we can get so caught up in in how much our life means 
And so what I did this week was I took a rope and I, and I tied it all the way around. I made one big rope and tied it all the way around the sanctuary. You might think this is a pull string. It, it is. As soon as I pull it, you're all going to fall down into the fellowship hall. But, uh, so get ready for the ride. No, I'm just kidding. But you, this is eternity. This is eternity. All of the white on this rope is eternity. It goes the entire way around. It starts right here, and it flies all the way around the sanctuary, all the way up, and there's a ton of leftover rope. This is eternity. This is your life. That's it. And yet we spend all of our time, all of our effort, all of our energy for this. And what about all of this? This is what the psalmist is saying. The blue is your lifespan. The white is where you're going to spend eternity. fleeting. It doesn't take a hurricane to destroy a flower. You know that, right? It takes the winds that are going on right now outside to kill a flower. And even less. The right wind at the right speed can kill a flower. Trust me, I did my study this week. Good old Google helped me out. It can be as low as a five-mile, I didn't know this, it can be as low as a five-mile wind. If it hits the flower the right way, it will kill it. Kill it. And yet we spend all of our time, all of our effort, all of our desires on this little blue spot. There's a reason why Jesus challenges his disciples and those who were listening that day in Matthew to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Because Jesus understands this. Heavenly gifts are going to last a whole lot longer than earthly gifts. It's the point of Psalm 103. David is saying literally, from what we can understand of what David's saying, literally I spend all this time trying to be the best king, the best person, the best this, the best that, and trying to make the right decisions, and I spend all this time building up my kingdom and doing all this stuff, and my life is but the blue tape on this rope, and eternity is that long. Why is it not flipped? Why am I not spending time bringing people into heaven, doing the things that, 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 that make the Lord happy, building up treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth? And to David, I say that's the million-dollar question. I see it. I see it. When asked to build up treasures in heaven versus build up treasures on earth, 
a good majority of people are going to do the earth. For that little piece of blue tape. One commentator says people often think they are in irreplaceable. But here's the deal. This commentator says, quote, irreplaceable people are replaced at some point. Everybody wants to feel irreplaceable, right? I like one way that they put it on, uh, on a Facebook meme. It says, quit breaking your back for an employer that will replace you two minutes after you're in the ground. It's not biblical. That's not a biblical statement, but it gets to the point of what David is talking about. We break our back for all of these things and, 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 and on earth, and we, and we do all this, and yet eternity is much, much longer. And so Jesus, in that teaching in Matthew, tries to bring the disciples and other people along to say, hey, listen, let's not focus so much on what's going on in the world and building up our kingdom here and, and all of that. Let's build up eternity. The next important lesson is this, number two. God's love is not fleeting like our lives. Thank God. Really, seriously, thank God. Listen to verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his thrones in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The person who responds to his covenant, love, obeys his precepts. Remember back in that first verse that talked about fearing him? That's the goal there. Remember when I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I started with a sermon. I started in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes. And we like to think of that believes as just head knowledge. Well, I believe that. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he was raised again. But the, the real word, when you break it down into Greek, the real word isn't just believe with your head. It's actually that when you believe it, it changes something in you. Your life is different because you believe it. There are plenty of people, dare I say that the book of James says that even the demons believe it. They know it. They shudder at his name. They get scared when you say the name Jesus. But it doesn't change this. And so the same is going on here with fear him. They obey his precepts. They change their lives because of it. 
His teachings are being put into practice, living by it, in other words. Then the psalmist reminds us that Bette Midler was wrong. (laughs) She was wrong in her song, From a Distance. Now you're all singing that. Because with his throne, while his throne is in heaven, his rule is everywhere. That's what it says. The Bible says it, not Brett Kendig. Sure, his throne is in heaven, but his role is everywhere. So does he see us from a distance? No, he sees you sitting right next to you in the church service today. And by the way, he does at your lunch table, your supper table, and your breakfast table. And by the way, he does... as. And this is a little convicting for me. In the passenger seat of your car while you drive. And by the way, even when you are frustrated, he doesn't walk away. He's there. The psalmist is clear that he wants the community, that is his people, to realize they are in his citizenship. They are a part of his world. It's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 talks about, or yeah, 11 talks about. It's on the screen. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. I mean, Peter couldn't be any more clear. Peter's saying what what, what David is saying. David is saying, listen, I need to be clear where my residency is. As as strangers, as residents, uh, temporary residents, some some scripture passages say, uh, some scripture translations say aliens and foreigners, you are called, that is you, the church, The community is called to stay away from worldly desires that do what? They wage war against your very souls. That doesn't sound like light preaching from Peter. That's not like, hey guys, be careful. That's, you're passing through folks. The blue on this rope is all that you got here. This isn't your residency. Your residency is eternity. And what Peter is saying is is that you're going to be hitting. And Peter's talking to a people who, trust me, I hear Christians say today, oh, we're persecuted, we're persecuted. Listen, you haven't experienced anything that 1 Peter has experienced 20 times over. We're talking lives lost. We're talking this service would have to be done very quietly so that the authorities outside the window wouldn't hear it so we would get all arrested. You haven't experienced anything yet. And 1 Peter 2 reminds us, you know what, folks? We're just strangers in this land. Don't you feel like that sometimes? I mean, literally, Michelle and I have these conversations. 
We'll be at an event. I'm not going to name the event. It's not a church event because we don't feel like strangers here. But it's, it's, it's around people who do not live our lifestyle. They choose to live other lifestyles. They choose to do other things. We feel like strangers. We literally come home and be like, did anybody talk to you? Nope. Anybody talk to you? Nope. Did you try to talk to somebody? Yep. And they ignored me. Why? Because they know they, that we don't believe like they believe. And so we're treated completely like strangers. Strangers, aliens, foreigners. And David is saying, please remember community. This isn't your final resting place. Don't give up hope. Look, I have a tendency to be, to go to the negative side. This is a very positive message. The positive of this is, is that he's reminding you that someday you will not be of the foreigner status. Someday, 20,000 different languages, 15,000 different denominations will be worshiping together at the feet of Jesus. Someday. That's not today. We will not be foreigners in heaven. But that starts at eternity. Number three, God's character deserves our praise. God's character deserves our praise. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do this bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And we close the psalm. Do you know that this morning and every day as we give praise to God, so do the heavenly hosts? Do you know that as we sing every Sunday morning, or we give testimony every Sunday morning, there's an ear from heaven listening. Psalm 148 says it this way, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him in all of his angels, praise him all of his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord at his command. They were created, and he established them forever and ever, and he issued a decree that will never pass away. Here's what the psalmist wants you to understand. Even those that are in his host in heaven are extremely loyal to him. Extremely loyal. Now, you know, the first thing I thought of was, well, that, you know, it's perfect in heaven. But they're extremely loyal to him. The psalmist in Psalm 103 here is reminding us, friends, he expects the same from us. But he also reminds us earlier on in the psalm that if we miss the mark, 
He forgives us as far as the east is from the west, but that does not give us the right again to play games with that grace. As I said last week in quoting William Barclay, how despicable for a son to continue to sin because he knows his father will forgive him, period. That's, that's, that's actually disgusting. This is God you serve, friends, and yes, it's for a fleeting moment, but give him your all for that moment. As we reflect for a few short minutes, I want to reflect on the two attitudes of the heart this morning. Here's what it is. Apathy, that is someone who says, I don't care about God. Gloom, that is someone who says, I think that God doesn't care about me. How have they impacted you recently? And as we fast approach the Thanksgiving season, how can you bring your heart closer to an all-loving, all-forgiving giving God, giving him praise with all of creation? How can you do it? Maybe you're coming into this Thanksgiving and you're not alone, that's all I'll say. And you're apathetic. I don't care. Or your gloom. God certainly doesn't love us. If he loved us, this stuff wouldn't be happening in our world. How do you change that? How do you go to the table on Thursday and literally be thankful in the midst of those kind of thoughts? You put your mind on his benefits and on him. Because guess what, folks? His mind is on you. Take a listen. Go ahead, roll the video. I've read the words in red How you leave the 99 To find the one missing Feels like that was written With me on your mind and the prodigal son who ran leaving his home behind the part where the father came running to meet him did you say that with me on your mind who am I
of a heavenly home on high. You're preparing a place where the sorrows erased, and when I stand before you, I'll find all along. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that it was us that were on your mind. Lord, there's no one that can say you didn't have them on, their, on your mind. Lord, as a father has compassion on his children, you have loved us. Lord, there's two prayer requests for this body. Number one, if there's anyone experiencing the apathetic or gloom thoughts, that today they would be able to walk out with a new perspective. But number two, Lord, is just as important. If there are those who have slipped in their fear of you, not being afraid, but reverently remembering that you are God and they are not. They've slipped on following your precepts, your laws, your, 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 your word. Help them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that yes, we're going to meet on Wednesday with another body of Christ, but I pray, Lord, that for those who aren't able to make that, that you would be able to allow them to sit at a table on Thursday. And no matter what's happening in their lives, they would be able to say, thank you, God, for forgiving me as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, God, for having me on your mind. Lord, that's the prayer of my heart this morning. And I know it's the prayer of yours. You don't want your children walking around as if they have no father. And so I pray it for this body, Lord, that we would understand we have a father who is compassionate to his children. And that at Thursday and every day, we can give him praise and thanksgiving. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.